There are a lot of colors around when we talk about crime and cybersecurity. White and black when we are in the cyber territory. White and blue when we talk about crime. Today, we talk about the broader one, the one related to crime. If you are interested in the difference, this episode gives you the insights and background. I'm glad to have you here on air. Corporate integrity, fraud, non-compliance and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes, detect threats and take measurements to protect the most precious assets? As a leader, you need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor. Corporate integrity matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity, and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur, and independent board member, she knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. Welcome back to this new episode of the podcast, Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. You might be a board member, executive or non-executive, responsible on C-level, an internal or external investigator, a corporate integrity council, or on your way there. I'm your mentor and sparring partner when it comes to corporate integrity with impact, founder of Corporate Integrity Concepts and the Corporate Integrity Academy, with the vision to protect and secure assets, reputation and actionability, yours and the one of your organization. Why? Because corporate integrity matters to all of us. Understanding the background of the terms often used are key, also in our environment of corporate integrity and all the related disciplines. Today, it is white-collar and blue-collar crime, a short episode explaining the root cause. Differentiating the terms white-collar and blue-collar crime is important when we analyze the fraud patterns. The fraud patterns are sub-summarized in the fraud tree. In short, the fraud tree contains different key patterns like asset misappropriation, financial statement fraud, corruption and bribery. These are only the key areas which will then have their sub-areas again with the different patterns. So that's just a short overview. And as you might have noticed over the last months, the patterns are evolving. Faster than the protection and prevention measurements on the fraud management side, for sure. But that's, that's another story I will take up in one of the next episodes here. And of course, also the evolving fraud tree with its pattern is trained and discussed in detail within the Corporate Integrity Academy. But now, coming back to the importance of understanding the difference of blue and white color crime. Not all of the fraud patterns in the fraud tree are just white or blue. There might be combinations. And what the criteria are will be crystal clear by understanding the difference of the two terms. The question about the two terms was raised during in an in-house fraud awareness workshop of a manufacturing company. As often, 30 people in the room, at least half of them not understanding the term, but only one person asking. Isn't it always the same? I think so. So thank you very much to all of the question raisers. You are the ones who bring the topics to the table and starting a discussion. And by the way, if you have any questions you would like to 
have discussed here on spot, please do not hesitate to contact me, either via the social media channels or directly via email. You have all the informations. And if not yet, more about that, the details you will find in the show notes. For the listeners, which are the ones who must bring up the bad news and often being seen as the bad cop, the better your recipient is educated, the more effective are the discussions. At the end, we all want to protect and secure assets and talking about fraud means saving at least 5% of your margin. Yes, saving and not spending. How does it work? The average loss based on fraudulent behavior each organization has per year is at least 5%. So we spend 5% just for covering the fraud cases. By educating and training the organization from the bottom to the top, we are on the journey of saving that money. We are saving your 5% of the margin. Education costs less than 1% of the financial loss occurred due to fraud. So economically and from a business perspective, the ROE, the return on investment of education, awareness and therewith prevention of fraud is huge and often underestimated. So why are so many organizations leaving money on the table when it comes to fraud management? Hmm. There are different points. Of course, we want to avoid taboos. That's just normal human being. We think it's a nice to have instead of a must have. A vitamin and not a painkiller. Is that true? I leave it open to you, but I'm sure as you are my listeners, you got it. And therefore, I just give a small piece to train your audience your colleagues and your peers too, with that episode here. Because it affects all levels when it comes to awareness. I remember the time when fraud was not a topic to talk about in Switzerland. <laughs> and there was no other term for it by then. In the Anglo-Saxon regions, white-collar crime was far more popular than fraud by then. The criminologist Edwin Sutherland defined the term as following. The sum of all criminal acts which directly or indirectly damage the enterprise and disregard the rules of trust and integrity in economic coexistence. With this definition, the term overlaps with that of the economic crime and corporate crime, because the opportunity of economic criminals acts such as insider trading, cyber attacks, money laundering, account accounting fraud, corruption, embezzlement, forgery of documents, etc. is much more extensive for higher-ranking employees than for employees at lower, lower hierarchical levels. For Sutherland, the driver of opportunity was therefore decisive for the definition of his term white-collar crime. This does not specify whether the attacker is inside, so internal fraud, or outside, external fraud, of the organization with which he has a contractual relationship. Let us now focus on the opportunity someone has in general 
let us now focus on the opportunity someone has and talk about the subtle difference between white-collar and blue-collar crime. The term blue-collar dates to the 1920s and refers to the American work clothes worn by factory workers. Workers were exposed to heavy soiling and for this reason wore dark clothing to minimize the risk of stains. Many of them also wore uniforms or shirts, which were usually blue, thus the derivation to blue collar. The so-called blue collar workers were caretakers, construction workers, machinists and manufacturing workers. Most of them were compensated at lo very low hourly rates, depending on the specific occupation, of course, and individual skills and abilities. In contrast, white-collar workers were paid more for their intellectual work. Manual labor was excluded to a minimum. White-collar workers were usually seated in an office and could therefore wear white shirts and collars without worrying about getting dirty. Typically, white-collar jobs were accountants, lawyers, doctors and managers. This power imbalance still exists, even though the terms are such as such are no longer active, actively used. But I think it's important that we understand it. However, they are still relevant for categorizing and illustrating offenses related to white-collar crime and non-compliance. That is also the reason why we, in our field of expertise, use it and should understand the difference. Please be aware of the fact that blue-collar crime is not a formal classification of offenses that exists. It is just an informal term to describe certain types of offenses and where they are from. Where here we can also build the bridge back to the fraud tree. These blue-collar workers have no or very limited access to the same resources in terms of skills and information as white-collar workers do. Therefore, they do not have the opportunity, and with that we come back to what Mr. Sutherland already explained. To be clear here, the white-collar workers also do not have the same opportunities, and that is very important to understand when we analyze the fraud triangle, as blue-collar workers have. And if you are interested in learning more about the fraud triangle, where we also talk about the different opportunities, in episode number six, I explain why the fraud triangle is a very important source when it comes to preventing and investigating fraudulent behavior. But that just as a side note, and I will also put it back to the, to the show notes here. Coming back to the blue-collar workers, for this reason, they are more likely to commit crimes that are more immediate and personal in, na in nature, such as robbery, than to commit long pre-planned complex acts. But here be careful, that's also a stereotype. Due to their professional status, blue-collar workers generally have less access and opportunities to commit offenses within the organization, such as embezzlement, inside trading, interest rate manipulation and bribery but they might be corrupt. These offenses require a certain level of status and hierarchical power 
within an organization, which is granted exclusively to white-collar workers in the form of access. This is not to say that white-collar workers do not commit blue-collar crimes, but that most perpetrators of these crimes come from lower social classes or, better, from a different profession. This distinction of access and death opportunity is also reflected in the fraud triangle. When it comes to the classification of fraud, I use the opportunity as one of the key drivers, if not the key driver. If I understand who has access to what, my hypothesis work becomes very effective and efficient. No matter what social class, I don't want to make that difference because it always depends on the access someone has. The former definition of blue and white color crime often references back to the social classes, which is not what I support. Because I think, as already mentioned, that's not what we have to look at. We have to look at the access. Today, I'm convinced that it, is, it less depends on that. And also not on status than on the opportunity. And of course, white-collar crime is definitely more often conducted by the higher organizational level someone reaches. But the blue-collar crimes are conducted by those too. The more white-collar workers feel the pressure, the more also blue-collar crime drivers increase. The opportunities, pressure, and the rationalization. The fraud triangle as a powerful tool in our daily work with humans. This was episode number 25 of The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. Following the belief, corporate integrity secures and empowers individuals and organizations. Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? Sharing is caring and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget... Topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know. That's it from my side. I thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stiernimon and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye.